Well, good evening once again. It's good to see you all, and good evening to those of you watching from home. I trust the Lord will bless us as we worship Him together. So let us begin our worship by singing to God's praise in Psalm 65 from Sing Psalms, and we sing verses 1 to 8. In Zion, praise awaits you, Lord, to you our vows will pay. To you all people will come near, you hear us when we pray. When we were overwhelmed by sins and guilt upon us lay, you pardoned all our trespasses and washed our guilt away. How blessed are those you choose and bring within your courts of grace. We're filled with blessings in your house, in your most holy place. Psalm 65 from St. Psalms, page 682, and we sing down to the verse marked 8. In Zion praise awaits you, Lord.
and we come before the Lord in prayer. Ever blessed and eternal God, we thank you once again for the privilege, the joy that we can gather in your house. This place that was built for the specific purpose of worshipping you and of giving you the honour and glory that is due to you and to you alone. We thank you, O Lord, for the fact that you have put it in our hearts and minds to be present here this evening. We look around us, O Lord, and there are so many who are uh, pleasing themselves, who are watching uh, foolish things on television or wherever, uh, and giving no thought whatsoever to the eternal consequences of ignoring you and of all that you have done in order to gather a people to yourself. We thank you, O Lord, for the verse that we've been singing there when we were overwhelmed by sins and guilt upon us lay. You pardoned all our trespasses and washed our guilt away. Lord, we acknowledge that we are sinful men and women and that there is a great chasm of separation that lies between you, O Holy God, on the one side and we sinful humanity on the other. And there is nothing that we ourselves can do by our own power, either individually or corporately, to bridge that awesome chasm. But we thank you, O Lord, that through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a way that has been provided for us. There is a bridge whereby we can cross over and find acceptance and find peace and, and uh, find a welcome at the throne of grace. We thank you, O Lord, for uh, the fact that you are willing to save uh, any who would come to you when burdened by their sins and, and, and confessing their sins and seeking forgiveness. You turn away none who truly seek you. We worship a God of amazing grace. Lord, how wonderful it is to know that we worship a living God, a God who we can know, a God who wants us to know him, a God who has gone out into the world in order to gather to himself a people. And we thank you that your spirit is still at work, going north and south and east and west, gathering a people to himself, a people who one day collectively would be gathered in the very presence of the living God at the end of time for the marriage feast of the Lamb. And Lord, we look forward to that day as your people have done so down through the centuries. We thank you for the many promises that you give us in Scripture, the promises of a God who is trustworthy and dependable in every single way. And we marvel, O oh Lord, that you, the creator of the cosmos, the God who needs nothing outside of himself, the God who is perfect, the God who is complete within the Godhead of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet, Lord, you chose to uh, create, to create this beautiful cosmos, this universe, this earth filled with all its amazing variety of creatures. But Lord, you made us, you created us in order that we might enter into a relationship with you. Let us make man, says God, and male and female, he created them. And Lord, there are only two genders, there are only two sexes, and you have made us to be what we are. Some of us are men and some of us are women, and we are glad, O oh Lord, to know that you did indeed create us. And if we only knew you as our creator, that would be enough reason to worship you and to 
and to extol and lift up your name. But we know you not just as our creator, but as our recreator, the one who has dealt with our sins, the one who has cleansed us and washed us clean in the blood of the Lamb, the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world was set in place. Lord, we think back to those years that we spent in a darkness where we had no thought whatsoever of the things of eternity, where we followed the ways of the world, when we walked along on that broad avenue leading to a lost eternity. And we thank you that you reached down into that fearful pit and you drew us out of the miry clay. You set our feet on the rock that is Christ, establishing our way and you put a new song in our mouth your name to magnify you took us from the uh, you took us O lord from the broad highway and set us onto the narrow way walking uh, in the footsteps of the lord jesus christ being kept by him and knowing that we are heading no longer to a lost eternity but to a glorious future in that place of which we read in scripture no eye has seen no ear has heard the mind has conceived what the Lord has prepared for those who love him. And we might wonder how could we possibly love a God whom we cannot see, we cannot see but yet Lord we love because you first loved us and you have opened our hearts to see the loveliness of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So be with us this evening and bless us and bless every gathering of your people in this country and abroad. We thank you, thank you, Lord, for your people who meet in great inner city auditoriums, often numbered in tens of thousands, and we marvel at these great churches in countries like South Korea and the United States, and there are others who meet under the shade of a tree uh, in a jungle clearing. A few in number, but Lord, every single one of your children are known to you intimately. You know the number of the hairs upon their head, and you are willing to sacrifice your son for each and every one of them, for they are all precious in your sight. They, eh, O oh Lord, you, the Lord Jesus Christ, suffered as much for the one as he did for the other. We thank you, Lord, for those who have graced this church in years gone by, who are no longer able to be with us, those who have been called away, those who are now in the nearer presence of their Saviour, no longer seeing him eh, with the eye of faith, but seeing him even as he is in all his risen glory. Remember those who would love to join us but cannot because of the frailty of old age or because of uh, feeling unwell, because they're in hospital or in homes. And we, we thank you, Lord, for their testimony and for their witness down through the years. Be with your church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Empower it in these dark days when we look around us and we would imagine that the evil one is gaining ground and, and how he would love to be in control for he is the one who has always coveted the throne of the living God. But Lord, he can do nothing that you do not permit him to do. He is like a dog on a leash. He has already has suffered that uh, fatal bruise at Calvary uh, when the Lord Jesus Christ uh, bruised the head of the serpent. But Lord, he is dangerous and we know that he is at work. We pray for our children being growing up in difficult times and being exposed to all kinds of 
inappropriate teaching even in our schools and we pray Lord that you would raise up a generation of godly men and women who would enter the teaching profession who would enter politics who who would seek to restore this nation and legislate in a way that is pleasing and honouring to you Lord there is a Bible uh, in the debating chamber in parliament in Westminster and we just pray Lord that uh, the politicians there would turn to it that they would open it and that they would seek your way just as Josiah sought your way as we were hearing uh, this morning be with us as a nation Lord revive us restore us and uh, bless us in these difficult times remember young people who've been at camps and we thank you for the things that they've learned and we pray for those who have come home from camp changed having come to know Jesus and we pray that you would protect them from the evil one that they would grow in grace and that they would grow to know and to love and perhaps one day to serve uh, the Lord Jesus Christ be with the students from our uh, seminary as they're uh, filling vacant congregations at this moment or assisting other ministers and we pray that you would guide them and help them and that eventually bring them Lord to uh, to be pastors, ministers in the place that you have set aside for them so Lord there are so many things that we would bring to your attention and we, there are many things I'm sure within our hearts that uh, we would never share with others but we can share them with you the God who wants to carry our burdens and walk with us on the journey through life so bless us now bless the congregation remember those who mourn remember those who have special needs remember those whose hearts are heavy remember those who have difficult decisions that they need to make may they seek your counsel uh, and we ask that you would be pleased to forgive us our every sin and continue with us in Jesus name Amen <clears throat> we sing now from the Psalter Psalm 62 verses 1 to 6 my soul with expectation depends on God indeed my strength and my salvation doth from him alone proceed he only my salvation is and my strong rock is he he only is my sure defense much moved I shall not be Psalm 62 verses 1 to 6 
Our reading this evening is in the New Testament and it's the first letter of Peter and we read from chapter 1 verse 13 down to verse 12 of chapter 2. The first letter of Peter chapter 1 verse 13 Therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober minded Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ, of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds... Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who, through him, are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, But in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honour is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become this cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offence. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him, who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. (coughs) 
Amen. And may the Lord add his blessing to that reading of his word. We sing now in Psalm 68, also from the Psalter. And we sing from verse 16. Why do ye leap, ye mountains high? This is the hill where God desires to dwell. Ye God in it for aye will make abode. God's chariots twenty thousand are, thousands of angels strong. In his holy place God is, as in Mount Sinai, them among. Psalm 68, singing verses 16 to 20. Why do ye leap, ye mountains high?
So we turn back for a while to the passage of scripture we read in Peter's first letter and I'd like us to focus on verse 9 of chapter 2. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The task of the church primarily is to proclaim and to tell people that there is a wonderful Savior, even the Lord Jesus Christ, who saves to the uttermost all who would come uh, to him. Many years ago when I was staying in Edinburgh, we, uh, when I was attending the college, I was actually living across the Firth of Forth in Fife, that uh, there was a debate going on in the university and uh, there was an atheist and there was a believer and uh, there was an audience and uh, each of the two protagonists within the debate were setting out to prove the existence or the non-existence of God and uh, I wasn't present because as I said I lived across the earth and I had to take a train home and uh, the audience were asked to vote at the end of the debate and uh, the atheist won the, the debate. Now I'm not sure it was that because his debating skills were superior uh, to the uh, Christian. I have no idea. Were they uh, voting for the fact that there is no God, as many would believe, or were they voting for the fact that there is a God, as many believe? But God in heaven has no concern whatsoever for these kind of gatherings because God is and God always has been. It is the default position of the church not to try to prove the existence of God. We simply believe that God is. Uh, but the task of the church is to proclaim uh, God, to tell people about what God has done. There are many people throughout the world who would say, yes, I believe in God. They might have all sorts of notions of what God is or what they imagine God is, but that does not make them into Christians. That does not convert them. That does not cause them to be born again. But when a man or woman receives the gospel truly and, and, and accurately proclaimed, then we trust that the Holy Spirit will accompany the proclamation of the gospel and work in that person's heart and bring them to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Nowhere in Scripture, you control your way through Scripture, and nowhere do the Lord's servants, the prophets in the Old Testament, or the apostles in the New, they do not go out of their way to argue and try to prove the existence of God. That is a given. God simply is. Philosophy seeks the meaning of our existence and philosophers today by and large would seek the meaning of our existence but they would not bring God or the notion of God into the equation because in this scientific age the idea of a God is simply not rational to many. But that is not to say that there are not scientists and philosophers out there uh, who are at the cutting edge of science and yet they are Christian believers. But in the golden age of philosophy in ancient Greece, belief in gods was very much a part of philosophical thought. The Athens of Paul's day had passed 
it's a, a golden a age as it were and it was living on the reputation of the past and anyone who wanted to study philosophy in the Roman world that's where they went they didn't go to Rome they went to a Athens they went to sit at the feet of the philosophers and to learn it from them and when Paul was passing through a, the city of Athens he was invited by the philosophers they would congregate on Mars Hill at the place called the Areopagus and uh, they knew that this Paul was preaching something new something novel something that was coming to their ears that had been taking the world as it were by storm further east and so they invited Paul to address them and on the way to the Areopagus Paul passed a shrine and uh, written on the shrine was to an unknown God and so what Paul set out to do, he said, Now what you worship is something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. He set out to proclaim the nature of that God and what that God has done to bring men and women to a saving knowledge of himself. And here Peter, the great apostle who was with Jesus, sets out the function of the church, the body of the Lord's people. It is to proclaim, to declare the praises of God and why does he want the Lord's people to, pro to proclaim the excellences of him as, as is the way it's put here because he called us out of darkness into his marvelous light it's a, an acknowledgement that we once lived in darkness we once lived in superstition and ignorance we knew nothing uh, about God and yet God in his grace called us out of darkness into his glorious light and now he calls upon us individually and collectively as a body of the Lord's people to proclaim to proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light God has done something for us that no one else could possibly have done if God had not intervened in the life of the believer we would still be living in darkness we would still be walking on the broad highway we would still be heading for a lost eternity but God has taken pity on us God has looked upon us with mercy God the God of amazing grace this is amazing a God and if you are like me then, then there are times when I just can't get my head around why should God set his love on me why should he have sent his son to die for me and I think back when I was young I never particularly liked football I've not been watching the women's world cup nothing against women's football but um, a when I was young I couldn't play football I had two left feet and we used to go to the Life Boys or the Anchor Boys as it's called today I believe and on a Friday night in the summer eh, we would play football and the leaders, our officers they would choose two of the older boys and they would tell them to go along the line of, of lads and, and select a team and uh, people like me were always wanting to be choose me, choose me but they never chose me because I was, I was no good I was hopeless and they knew I was hopeless and then when they had got their 11 the leaders would say to the rest of us oh well fall in and you know find a, find a place somewhere where you'll, you'll be of some use but you know the amazing thing is that God doesn't treat us like that it doesn't matter what we've done it doesn't matter what skills we may or may not have the Lord has a task for each and every one of his people and how wonderful it is when we think as Christians that the Lord did not pass us by 
But the Lord reached down and he took us out of that fearful pit, as I was saying in the prayer. And he's called us here to uh, proclaim uh, to proclaim God's amazing mercy because he has taken us from darkness into his marvelous light. And a man or woman who is in a spiritual darkness, a man or woman who has not yet come to know Jesus, they are living in the darkness of unbelief, of superstition, of skepticism. They cannot declare the praises of God because they do not know God. And if you do not know somebody, then you cannot uh, say anything about them. And we know as we read Peter's uh, letter here that the recipients of his letter were suffering some kind of persecution. You'll see that as you go through the letter. They weren't being thrown to the lions in, in some arena in Rome, but it was a, a more subtle form of persecution. They were possibly being ostracized. People who, with whom they had been friends before, they, they didn't want their friendship anymore because they had they moved away from their former paganism. They had now come to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And it may be that some of you here have experienced that yourself. People that you were close to at one time, once they found that you were following Jesus, they, they moved away and they keep you at a distance. And so the recipients of Peter's letter were suffering from some kind of persecution. Would it not have been better for them to have kept their head down and to keep quiet about their faith in order that they would avoid being persecuted? But not according to Peter, because he sees in their suffering the hand of the Lord refining and purifying his people, removing the dross of worldliness. So they are not to keep silent, but they are to go about, and they're not to go about as secret believers, but they are to declare, they are to proclaim the wonderful gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to do that means coming out into the open. It means putting your head up above the parapet, being known not as somebody who simply goes to church, but being known as a Christian. I remember many years ago some well-known individual within the church at large was asked whether he considered himself to be a churchman or a Christian. And after a moment's thought, he said that he preferred to be known as a churchman. A churchman. Well, we're not churchmen and women, I hope. We are Christians. We are followers of Jesus. And so here in this passage of Scripture, uh, Peter makes four things. He makes four statements about the believer. He makes four statements about those whom the Lord has set aside to serve him. And the first one is that they are a chosen race. Secondly, they're a royal priesthood. Thirdly, they're a holy nation. And fourthly, they are a people for his own uh, possession. And so we'll look at these briefly uh, as time permits. They are a chosen uh, people. Jesus said to his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you. We read that in John chapter 15. You do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. And throughout the Bible, from the very beginning to the end, God goes out of his way to choose individuals, to choose families, to choose tribes, to choose whole nations, or rather a nation whom the Lord has chosen to draw to himself and to use for the furtherance of his kingdom and to bless them. 
Ours is an age of choice. We have choice over so many things. We live in a democracy, and democracy is all about choice, the freedom to exercise choice. And when we read the Bible, we find that God also exercises choice. He chooses some, but not others. He goes out of his way to choose an individual over there while bypassing thousands on the way. We think of Jesus who got into the boat. He went across the Sea of Galilee to heal a demoniac, a pagan, a man who who was uh, from the Greco-Roman world. He wasn't one of the Lord's covenant Jewish people. And having healed him, he told him to go and tell his family, tell his people what the Lord has done for you. And having saved him, the Lord got back in the boat and went back over to the western side of the Sea of Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on his way north to Galilee and he met, stopped at the well of Sychor and uh, there he saved that woman telling her all about her past and through her uh, bringing faith to uh, an entire community. We find God going out of his way to gather a people to himself. And when we think about it, When you consider the the ancient city of Ur of the Chaldeans, one of the most sophisticated cities in, in that part of the world at that particular time, why did God choose Abraham but not somebody else? Why Naaman out of all the Syrians when there are so many millions of Syrians? Why Nineveh out of all the pagan cities? of the Middle East? Why the woman at the well and, uh, and her a community? Why the Syrophoenician woman and her daughter? Why Zacchaeus, the wee man who climbed up a tree in order to see Jesus and not others? We do not know. No explanation is given. God simply exercises his right to choose. Some he loves and others not so. Jacob I have loved. Esau I have hated. But what a privilege to be chosen by God, to be noticed by the Lord of the universe, to be lifted off of the dung heap, to be snatched like a brand from the fire, to be lifted out of the fearful pit, to be taken out of darkness into the glorious light of Jesus. And all because God in his sovereign providence chose to do. Jesus says, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father. No one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Chosen before the creation of the world. Chosen for glory. Chosen to be displayed as jewels in the crown of the King. And as a lovely children's hymn that speaks of the believer being a jewel on the crown of King Jesus. And at the end of the day we might ask, well why? Why? Well, we simply do not know. And as the hymn writer puts it, I know not why God's wondrous grace to me has been made known nor why unworthy as I am, he claimed me for his own. If you've been picked for the school team, and I never was, you don't keep quiet about it. You tell people, you would run home and say, Mom, Dad, I've been picked to play for the school, and you would hope that they would congratulate you for it. You don't keep quiet about it. And when the Lord chooses us, we don't keep quiet about it either. We tell other people, and that's a very difficult thing to do, isn't it? When we come to know Jesus, we have to go and tell those who are close to us that we are a changed man 
or woman. So that's the first thing. We're a chosen race. And secondly, a royal priesthood. That simply means that the believer is a priest in the royal service. We're a priest serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In Bible times, priests were chosen. They were set apart to conduct the temple worship. And the Lord's people today also have a priestly function, but no longer to conduct a sacrifice, but to point people to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The priests in ancient times, they were constantly at work in the temple on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. There was that sacrifice that was made on behalf of the whole nation and only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies but bearing the blood of a sacrificial animal and he only went in there once a year. It was repeated constantly down through the centuries, a vast river of blood being poured out for the sins of God's ancient people. But then when Jesus came, the Lamb of God, there was this one sacrifice, that one-off sacrifice that availed to cleanse every single believer, past and present, of their sins. And that is the task of the royal priesthood. It is to point people to that great sacrifice and to point them to the fact that the cross is empty. In some churches there is a statue of Jesus hanging there in pain upon the cross, but the cross is empty. He has finished the work the Father gave him to do. He has sacrificed himself. He has cried out, it is finished. And he has risen now into the power of an endless life. He is in glory. But God's chosen people also have a sacrifice that only they can conduct. I urge you, brothers, says Paul, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So those who know the king, those who are uh, Christians, those who are members of this royal priesthood, our collective task is to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then the third point is that they are a holy nation. They are a holy nation. Uh, a holy nation and we see further on in verse 10 once you were not a people but now you are God's people once you had not received mercy but now you have received uh, mercy a holy nation nations are made up of uh, individuals kings rule over nations when we think back in Scotland in the past the kings in this country were not known as the king of Scotland they were the king of Scots they were the king over a specific people and our king Jesus has set apart a people for himself a king has to have subjects you couldn't have a king without subjects people uh, who would bow the knee to him and our king Jesus has set apart a people for himself a holy uh, people and uh, He exercises his sovereignty over them. And our task is to tell people about Jesus. Being holy, what does it mean uh, to be holy? Well, being holy simply means that we have been uh, set apart. The utensils that were being used in the temple of Solomon, the temple in Jerusalem, the gold, silver, 
the bronze utensils, they were holy because they were set apart from everyday use and they were only to be used in the service of the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, when he took uh, the Lord's people into captivity, he took all the uh, all the, uh, the gold and silver and bronze from the temple and he placed them in his own temple in Babylon. But he was a wise man in that he never ever used them. But his son and successor, Belshazzar, was not so wise. And as we all know uh, from reading in Daniel, one, one day he was at a drunken a banquet and he told his servants to bring the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple in Jerusalem and they filled them with wine, they filled them with beer and they began to toast all the various false and pagan gods whom they worshipped and as they did so a hand appeared and it wrote words on the wall that only Daniel could decipher and Daniel told the king that he had been weighed on the scales he had been found wanting and that very night he was slain and his kingdom was given to another our, uh, our, uh, the, the plates and the goblets that we use for our communion they are holy there's nothing special about them the metal, the value of the metal is, is, is intrinsic but they have been set apart for holy use have been set apart uh, to proclaim uh, the Lord Jesus Christ in his death until he comes uh, the kids in Loch Gilpin when I was minister there they came into the church one day and I showed them the communion silver or I think in our case it was communion pewter but I didn't let them handle the chalice because I knew that some uh, bright spark would probably raise it and say cheers but I just showed it to them and I explained that this was set apart when we took the blood of Jesus and uh, we ate the bread and explained to them the significance of these things. So they, being holy simply means being uh, set apart. And that's what we are when we come to know Jesus. We're set apart. We belong to him. We have been redeemed. We have been bought. Not by uh, a silver or gold, as Peter puts it back here, but by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ the lamb without blemish or spot. And so the final thing here is that we are a people belonging to God. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You are no longer your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body, says Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's as if we had been in the slave market. It's as if Jesus had come and he had purchased us. And he didn't purchase us that we would go off and please ourselves and do our own thing. He purchased us in order that we might serve him. The Lord paid the redemption price. And we could never ever pay him back for the price that he paid for us. We belong to him. We read in Revelation chapter 5, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. Speaking of Jesus, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. But the most wonderful privilege for any man, woman, or child is to be chosen by God, to be set apart by God, to be redeemed by God, 
and to be called into his wonderful and glorious service. And all the terms that are used here by Peter in addressing uh, the recipients of this letter, they're all collective terms, they're all communal terms, they're people, priesthood, nation. Yes, he's speaking to individuals, but he's speaking to individuals who are part of a community. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God, collectively called to declare his praises. And if we have been called out of darkness, if we have been called into his wonderful light, if we have been called from a Christless existence, living in darkness and in futility, having had no hope, then how could we not proclaim the, the, uh, the excellences, as it's put here, of him who did this marvellous work, calling us out of darkness into his marvellous light. We await the return of the king, and he will come one day, as he's promised, to deal with his enemies and to gather his people to himself. And in the meantime, we have this task to tell others about Jesus, to tell others about the glorious and the wonderful hope that awaits us, awaits any man, woman or child who would put their faith and trust in Jesus. And that is simply our duty. We can do nothing less. The miracles of Jesus were all miracles, uh, were all signs pointing to the reality of the kingdom of Christ, that there would be no death, there would be no illness, there would be no uh, aging. And you know, the born-again Christian is a wonderful sign. The miracle of the new birth, that alone is proclaiming to people that we are a changed person. The miracle of a changed life. My father grew up in a small crofting village in Lewis, and uh, I heard from a minister many years ago of a man who um, he, he, he had what I would call an uncooperative cow. Uh, when he milked the cow, it would stamp its feet, it would swish its tail, it would swing its head from side to side. I don't know why he was milking the cow. Perhaps his wife was unwell. Perhaps he was a widower. I do not know. But when he was milking the cow, you could hear him on the other side of the village shouting and swearing at poor Bessie or Daisy or whatever her name was. And then something wonderful happened. He came to know the Lord. And the news spread like wildfire throughout the community. And a man who was my father's best friend when they were young, he said, I'll wait till milking time before I believe it. And that evening, as he waited for this man to milk the cow, there was silence. There was no shouting. There was no swearing. And so this man, Duncan, knew that the Lord had truly done a work in the heart of that man. And that man by his changed life was proclaiming uh, was proclaiming the, the excellences of him who had called him out of darkness into his marvellous light. So we have been saved, we have been rescued, we have been snatched from the jaws of death. Should we not then in thanksgiving declare the praises of the one who by his amazing grace took us from darkness into his glorious kingdom, the kingdom of light, knowing the one who is the light of the world. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him 
He called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen. And may the Lord add his blessing to these thoughts and meditations on his word. We conclude by singing in Psalm 87, Psalm 87 from the Psalter. Upon the hills of holiness he his foundation sets. God more than Jacob's dwellings old delights in Zion's gates. Things glorious are said of thee, thou city of the Lord. Rahab and Babel, I to those that know me will record. We sing the whole of Psalm 87 to God's praise. May grace, mercy, and peace from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God.